I'm glad to be back. So grateful to be here. We are walking through the story of Joseph. We'll be in Genesis 41, the back half of the chapter, starting in verse 41. So if you want to get your Bibles out in preparation for that, I want to show you a picture, though, as we get started here. So this is a cross section of a knee. And I just want you to sort of see from the pictures there, right? All of these ligaments and tendons, right? That, that join the upper half of this structure to the lower half. Right. These these ligaments and these tendons, these are called connective tissues. Right. Connective tissues, meaning they connect these two things together. Your body is comprised of about a third of your body weight is connective tissue. And if it weren't for connective tissue joining your organs and the framework of your body together, none of you'd be here today because you couldn't walk. You couldn't stand. You couldn't get dressed. Right. Connective tissue does all of that work in your body. When I was in college, right, the anterior, this right here is the medial collateral ligament. Right in there is the anterior cruciate ligament. And this right here is the patella tendon. It does what it does. It connects your kneecap, right, your patella to the, to the lower half leg. When I was playing basketball at college, I blew out my MCL, my ACL and my patella tendon at the same time. And so they called it the terrible triad. And I've had issues with my left knee since. And what I've learned now at 59, as I consider a knee replacement, is that I have very little connective tissue, right? When I did my last MRI, my interior cruciate ligament is completely gone. Both meniscus are completely gone. I do have my patella tendon and my medial collateral. They've been stapled and they're still strong. But the problem with my knee is the lack of stability. I'm not in pain. When you see me walking in the hallway and I limp, I'm not in any pain. I just look cool. I look like John Wayne, okay? (laughs) So the problem with the knee isn't the pain. The problem is just the lack of structural integrity because there's no connective tissue. Because connective tissue serves this purpose, right? It joins two things together. It provides a framework in which all of these things can work together, right? Does that make sense to everybody, right? We have these in our lives too, right? My sister was uh, back at our hometown on Friday. She sent me this picture. This is a picture of the headstone at the cemetery where my mom and dad were laid to rest. And uh, Friday was the seven-year anniversary of our mom's passing. And my sister wanted to be there. And so she went and she took a picture and sent that to me. And all I could think when she sent that to me was, there's a connective tissue. These two people who got married became the connective tissue of four basically strangers, if it weren't for these two people. My brother Dallas, my sister Melissa, my sister Shauna, and myself are completely connected because of these two people, right? They are a connective tissue for the four of us, right? And your life, just like my life, has how many of these connective tissues, right? That take take one thing, uh, right, one part of your life, and they join it to another part of your life. For some of you, Tomoka Christian Church is a connective tissue because before you got here, there was a certain thing, a certain kind of life. You get here, and this place becomes a connective tissue because now you have a new friend, 
right? You have new people that you're connected to, right? Maybe one of your friends introduces you to the person you're now dating or married to, right? There's all of these connected tissues, not just on our body that fit our framework together and make just standing up possible. There's all these connected tissues in our lives, right? Sometimes it's the college that we go to. All of a sudden, we go from being this person in high school, and when we go to this college, we leave and we've got five best new friends. And college becomes that connected tissue for us. Are you tracking with that church? Right? Listen, our lives, our lives don't function if there's not connective tissue in it. And the same is true about our spiritual walk. There are millions of these moments within our spiritual walk that bring one part of our life together with the next part of our life. Right? And we see this all throughout scripture. And Joseph's story here as we wrap up chapter 41 gives us a chance to look at a few of these places where one part of life gets connected to another. Listen, Joseph's life's been insane. So Jacob falls in love with Rachel, but it doesn't work so easy. By the time he's done, he's got three other wives on top of Rachel. He's got 12 children. Rachel has died. And the one child that was born to Rachel, Joseph, is daddy's favorite. So the first 17 years of Jacob or uh, of Joseph's life, they're fantastic. He is the favorite out of all of the kids, right? <clears throat> he is highly favored, has the new coat. Everybody hates him, right? And then it begins to unravel. His brothers throw him in a pit, right? Tell dad that he got killed by a wild animal. They sell him to gypsies. The gypsies sell him to Egypt. He goes to Potiphar's house as a slave. The next thing you know, he's running Potiphar's house. Next thing you know, Potiphar's wife wants to have sex with him. He says no. She lies. He gets arrested, thrown into prison for several years. While in prison, he interprets the dreams of two people. Says to them, hey, when you get out, do a boy a solid here. Remember me. He gets out, the cupbearer does, forgets. Two more years, he waits in prison. By the time we get to Genesis 41, this has been a 13-year insane journey for Joseph. And when he gets out of prison, they don't give him a get-out-of-jail-free card and say, hey, we're sorry, it's been a terrible 13 years. Go do whatever you want to do because God knows you've earned it. No, no, no. You've got to come and interpret these dreams. And when you hear what the dreams are, which is we're going to have seven great years and then seven years of no food, we're going to need to hire you to solve this problem. I don't know about Joseph, but I might have wanted to go back to jail at that point in time. Because that does not sound like an appealing job, Right? But this is his life. So the question is, how do you, how do you have a life like this? I don't know what your 13 year journey is. I don't know what you've got going on, but how do you get from this part of your life to the next part of your life? Some of you watching online and some of you in here have had these seasons where you go, I don't know how I'm going to get from this part, this season, this divorce, right? My kids have left. It's empty nesting, right? I don't know how I'm going to get from this diagnosis of cancer or another debilitating disease or this season of unemployment. How am I going to get from here to anything better? I'll tell you how. Because there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of connective tissues in our life that get us from one season to another. Joseph and his story at the end of Genesis 41 shows us three of them. I want to walk through those today with you. Here's the first one. Everybody read this with me. Everybody online, everybody here, read it with me. Connective tissue of, bravo, 
Listen, it's pretty simple, right? How many of you in here online have ever made a promise to somebody? Okay, only about half of you. (laughs) Right? But, and how many of you have ever been on the end of a broken promise? Oh, sure, now you all participate. (laughs) Right? And then... If you've been on the end of a broken promise, many of you know the struggle of ever trusting anybody with a promise again. Right? It's a hard thing. Why? Because we know something about a promise. That a promise is a promise and you're not supposed to break a promise. When somebody says, I promise, it's supposed to mean something. Right, church? It's supposed to mean something. Matter of fact, it's supposed to mean everything. Right? When a promise is made, we want to be able to count on it no matter what. No matter what, we want to count on it. Right? We stand before before somebody and we say, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, right? For better, for worse. And then thousands upon ten thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people watch the promise be broken. Right? It's hard. Because we know that a promise can be such a powerful connective tissue to get us from a dark season of life, a season of despair, to the next season of joy and sunlight. But you got to have a connective tissue. And for some of you, today that tissue is the connecting piece of promise. Let me just show you how this works. I'm just going to read some scriptures to you, right? Because I want to know. Right? We want to talk about Joseph and sometimes we want to ask why. Why does this stuff happen? Right? Why? Listen, maybe you're a, maybe you're a person that's consumed with wanting to know why. You're going to have some problems with God because he's not very good at telling us. Anybody? He's just not very good at it. Right? Instead of asking why, listen, we've done this long enough. We're 2,000 years post Jesus. We've done this long enough to know that why doesn't always come. But I can tell you what we can learn. We can learn how. We can learn how. How did Joseph do this? How does a guy go through the stupid stuff he goes through and come out with some semblance of a positive attitude and a faith? Because he had a connective tissue of promise. All the way back in Genesis 37, this was what he learned as a 17-year-old boy. Right? He had a dream. And when he told his dream to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had, right? The, we're binding sheaves. My, my sheaves stood up and rose upright. Your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it, right? No wonder they threw him in a hole, right? His brother said to him, are you intending to reign over us? Will you actually rule us, right? They hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. He told this to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream. Right? This time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So he told his dad about it as well. And his father rebukes him and says, what is this dream that you've had? Right? Will your mother and your brothers and I actually bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous, but his father kept it in mind. I am convinced that the more I read this story, that the only thing at times that got Joseph from this season of life to the next season of life was the fact that God had made that promise to him. And he hadn't experienced it yet. Because what else keeps a man remotely sane while he's doing nothing but the right thing and every time he does the right thing, something terrible happens to him. 
I don't know if you've ever done the right thing and then got the bad thing that happened anyway to you, but that's infuriating. And if it happens once, it's infuriating. This happened for 13 years. And he still kept getting up and doing it. Why? I am convinced that that promise was his connective tissue to get to the next season. And for some of you today, you need to know the promise that God's made to you. There are 7,187 promises or thereabout in Scripture from God to you. 7,000. Everybody say 7,000. 7,000. We, we have a hard time trusting one promise from another human being. Right? God made 7,000 plus promises to you. My guess is you know very few of them. But my guess is the more of those promises you know, the more powerful they will become to you. Because the reality is everything we have, everything we have in this world as believers in Jesus is connected to a promise that God made to Abraham a bunch of years ago. Listen to Acts 7. Stephen makes, Stephen makes this defense and he's talking about Abram and says, He left the land of the Chaldeans, settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you're now living, right? He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. Here's what he said, though. Everybody read these first first four words with me. But God promised him. Boom, right? Here's my connective tissue. I'm in this strange land. I've got no inheritance. But what do I have to hold on to? But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land. Sounds great. Here's the problem. But at that time, Abraham had, say it with me, no child. How do you get from no children to, hey, one of these days, your descendants are going to own this piece of property? Especially when it takes 25 years to have your first kid. You want to know how? You cling to a promise. You cling to a promise because it's all you got. Because when a promise gets made, it's everything. And the God who makes 7,147 of these or so is a God you better be able to count on, right? I mean, if a God's going to open his mouth and make 7,000 plus promises, this dude better be good. But how did you get from no kids to descendants and go, yeah, I can hang on for 25 years? Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 4 about Abraham in this journey. Check this out. The Bible says against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Right? Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Leave that right there. How many kids did he have when this promise was made? Zero. Right? But he hoped based on what? Just a promise. Just a promise. So look what scripture says. Scripture says, next verse, without weakening in his faith, 24 years didn't happen. But he didn't weaken in his faith. How is that even possible? If God makes a promise to you and takes 24 years to fulfill it, are you struggling with your faith? Yes! We go through tragedy and the problem ain't solved tomorrow. We're like, God, where are you? He waited 24 years and the Bible says he did not weaken in his faith. How was that even possible? Because promise is such a powerful connective tissue. Because God said, your descendants will own this piece of property. But God, I don't have any kids. But your descendants will walk out of here. But God, I don't have any children. I made a promise. 
So the Bible says without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was a good dead. Because now he's 99. The Bible says since he was almost 100 years old. And Sarah's womb was dead. So not only has God made a promise, but he waited until they couldn't even have kids. Physiologically. Biologically, they don't even have a shot at this. But they got through it without weakening in their faith. Why? Because God made a what? God made a promise. The Bible says, yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He had nothing else to hold on to. The Bible says, but he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now listen to Galatians 3. Galatians 3 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Listen to this. He, Jesus, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abram. What a what blessing? That your descendants, your descendants, your descendants, when you have no children, right? Your descendants, he says, the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So that by faith, we might receive the what? promise of the spirit. Do you realize that everything, listen, if you're online and you're in here, you know, Jesus have accepted Jesus. He's your Lord and savior. Let me hear you say, amen. amen. Do you realize that everything you have because of that is based on a promise, a promise that God gave Abraham, that it's credited to you as righteousness because you believe how many of you believe in Jesus? Say amen. amen. Everything that you have is simply based on a promise that God will give you what he gave Abraham, that righteousness. Everything. It's all we have. There are days your performance and my performance makes believing that promise really hard, right? I mean, it is Sunday morning after all, and some of you went out on Saturday night. Well, maybe not. You won't show up till 1130 if that's the case, right? But the reality is there are things that we do that go, oh man, I don't know about that. The promise is what we cling to. Joseph clung to this promise. Abraham clung to this promise. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Everybody say it with me. Be anxious for nothing, right? But in everything, through prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Is that a promise? Yes. The promise is you give me your prayer request, your supplications, and I will give you my peace that will guard your heart and your mind. Is that a promise, church? And yet, how many, don't raise your hand. How many of you are anxious still? You see, we let our anxiety in the situation win over what? The promise. Because sometimes the only way to get from where you're at to the next season of life, that to go from mourning to joy, right? From, go from darkness to light, right? The only way to go from brokenhearted to a heart that's whole is to get to a promise that you know God made to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You ever feel abandoned by God? You ever feel alone? Of course we've done that. You know what you cling to in those moments? You cling to the promise that God never leaves you or never forsakes you. You ever been brokenhearted? You ever think that there's no way in the world I'll ever get up tomorrow morning? There's absolutely no way in the world I'm ever going to make it through? The promise of God is, is that he's near the brokenhearted. He binds the brokenhearted. Anybody believe that, church? Sometimes the only way to survive, being curled up in a fetal position on the ground where you're crying over a broken heart is because you know that God made a promise that I will bind your broken heart. I am near the broken hearted. 
You see, sometimes for some of us, the only way to get through is to lean on a promise. You see, the promise of God is a connected tissue. If you don't know those, man, get on, get online and ask Google to print you out a list of all of God's promises. Learn those. And that way you can cling to those. You can pray for those. You can make those the things that you bind around your heart. Does everybody understand the connective tissue of promise? Right? Here's the second one. How about the connective tissue? Some of you are going to hate this one, right? Everybody read it with me. The connective tissue of forgiveness. So Joseph gets released from, from, from prison. He's had a 13 year miserable run and he finally gets out of jail. And the question I ask is, are you really free? Cause you got out of jail and you got hired to save the world, right? Is that really free? Is he free? I don't think Joseph is really free till we find out what he names his first kid, right? Here's what Genesis 41 50 says. So the, the dream was seven years, right? Seven years of prosperity, then seven years of terrible famine. You better save during seven years of prosperity because you're going to need it during seven years of famine. So while the years of prosperity were going on, the Bible says before the famine came, Joseph had two sons by a woman named Asenath, a daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. And the first he named Manasseh. And here's what he said when he named this boy. We don't know how many years into the seven it was, but it wasn't at the beginning. And here's what we learn in the journey. Joseph names this boy because God made me what? Forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Finally, Joseph is free because here's what happens. All the stuff that he's been through and the people that put him through it, God made him forget. See, for some of you online and for some of you in here, the only way to get from where you're at today into the next season is you need to find the connective tissue of forgiveness. You just need to find that connective tissue. I did a little research on Google about connective tissue since I'm lacking a bunch of it in my knee. I asked Google, how do you know if you have weak connective tissue? Here's what Google said. Early indications of a, of mixed connective tissue disease include the following. Here's the first thing. Here's the first sign of weak connective tissue. A general feeling of being unwell. I thought that's a pretty heady diagnosis right there, right? Based upon that, all of us have weak connective tissue, right? A general feeling of being unwell. So I did a little more research and I asked Google, what weakens my connective tissue? Here's what he said. Google said, I call Google a he, whatever, right? I'm going to pass on that joke. Non, right. What weakens connective tissue? Non-inherited causes of autoimmune types of connective tissue disease include the following. First thing, exposure to toxic chemical, i.e. cigarette smoke, right? Those kind of things. Now, I want to, I want to read an article to you written by... One of the best articles I've ever read about forgiveness. The gal's name is Amanda Rowett. She is a, has a master of arts degree and she is a licensed mental health professional, works in a Christian counseling center. I just want to read this to you about forgiveness or unforgiveness. 
Unforgiveness is a state of emotional and mental distress that results from a delayed response in forgiving an offender. It's characterized by indignation, bitterness, and a demand for punishment or restitution. Unforgiveness creates a domino effect that negatively impacts every part of us, including our emotions, thoughts, behaviors, body, spirit, and relationships. With unforgiveness, time does not heal all wounds. In fact, time further worsens and infects emotional pain. Unforgiveness is like carrying around a huge weight. The longer we carry the grudge, the heavier the burden becomes. Listen to this. In the remember, what weakens connective tissue? Exposure to toxic material. She says, right? In the absence of a timely response, the roots of unforgiveness only go deeper, further entangling us in some feeding on unforgiveness is toxic exposure. Listen, I don't know your stories and you don't know mine. But here's what I know. Most of us, if not all of us, will experience a season of our life that the only way to get from here to here is to find a connective tissue of unforgiveness. You see, some of you, I, listen, I know this. Some of you sitting in here and some of you online are stuck on this side. You're stuck on this side of life. And the reason you're stuck is because you can't forget. You won't forget. You're stuck over here and the toxic material you're exposing your life to is eating away at the connective tissue and you can't get to the other side. Oh, people might look at you and go, oh, they're fine. They're fine. And people will ask you and you'll say, I'm fine. But you're stuck in this place where unforgiveness has kept you from moving forward. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, he writes this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. See, here's the thing about forgiveness. It's not about how you feel. It's about what you will do. The reason that a lot of us struggle with forgiveness is because we don't feel it. We didn't get an apology. I don't know if their apology is sincere. I don't know. I don't want them to get away with it. Listen, we base forgiveness on how we feel. Forgiveness isn't a feeling. It is an act of obedience. How many of you in here, how many of you online have been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ? Say amen. And how did he forgive you? He forgave you once and he forgave you forever. Somebody say amen. amen. That's it. That's it. You ever done anything since you've accepted God's forgiveness to deserve forgiveness, to, to need forgiveness again? Of course. But God already forgave you once and forever. He doesn't say, man, when you feel like it, just give them what I gave you. No, he just says, be kind and compassionate, forgiving, present, active in the Greek. You forgive and keep forgiving. How? Just as you got forgiven by Jesus. You see, it isn't how we feel. Yeah, but, but, but pastor, you don't know. You don't know what I went through. You don't know what it felt like after 15 years of marriage to watch my husband walk out of me. You're right. I don't know how you feel about that. But forgiveness has nothing to do with how you feel. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what it was like. You don't know what it's like to have that kind of betrayal, that kind of abuse, that kind of hurt. You're right, I don't. But I do know that forgiveness has nothing to do with how we feel and everything that 
we will do. Because forgiveness isn't an option, it's a command. So I want to show you a picture of five of my favorite people in the world. You might notice, this is Pastor Joe over there, and yes, we're standing in a Barbie box. For the last seven years, we've gathered in Bloomington, Indiana, the six of us at a lodge there, and we have spent four days together having a retreat. We all went to St. Louis Christian College together. Our lives and our paths crossed. That place was a connected tissue for us. Every year we get together, we sort of, we just laugh, eat good food, have a couple serious moments. And this year, the serious moment came when one of the participants asked this question. What's the one thing you need to hear the group say to you? What's the one thing you've been waiting for this group to say to you so that you can move forward or let go? And when the question was asked of us, we all sort of looked at each other like, what a dumb question, right? So we went to bed, slept on it, did our thing the next day. And the next night we gathered around a fire pit outside. And the question got brought up again. What's the one thing you need to hear the group say to you so that you can move forward? And it was like the entire group of people disappeared. And God was speaking to me. And he said, this is what you have wanted this group to say to you for years. See, here's the thing you don't know. When I graduated from college in 1986 until about 1993, I wasn't a very nice person. After my son had died and my wife had left and the church had fired me and I became homeless, I became a little bitter. And I didn't live a very good life. And I put these men, I put those five men in a terrible position at times because I wasn't a person they could count on. I lied to them. I just wasn't a very good person. And there's times that all I've wanted to hear from them was the very thing I said to them that night around the fire pit. I just told them. I need to hear that you forgive me because it was a rough seven years. These are men that I had went to college with, played sports with, had been in their weddings. They'd been in mine. These are men that I had lived around and served with for four years. And I was a terrible human being for seven years. Without even knowing it, the thing I needed to hear them say was, I forgive you. Because what I knew in that moment was that to get from where I was at to where I needed to be with those men, I needed that connective tissue of forgiveness. You see, here's the thing. It's not just you. There's somebody on the other side of that waiting, waiting for you to forgive them. Because as much as you're in prison, forgive me for going long, right? Um, And we'll get to the next service. I promise you, right? But to get to that next season, you're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to let go. Listen to what Colossians says. This is even this is even harder. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And listen to this. Everybody in here and everybody online, listen to this. Bear with each other and forgive. Everybody say these two words with me. Whatever grievances. But they abused me. Whatever grievances. They betrayed me. They had an affair. Whatever grievances. They stole from me. Whatever grievances. But they lied about me. Whatever grievances. But they did. Whatever grievances. You have it. Whatever it is. Whatever grievance. Whatever grievance. Whatever grievance. You may have against one another. Forgive. And in the Greek it's an imperative. It's not an interrogative. It's not a question. It's not an option. 
See, for some of you sitting in here right now, for some of you watching online, you're simply living in complete disobedience to the command of God. Because God says forgive as you've been forgiven. And you do it, whatever grievance. But you don't know. Doesn't matter, whatever grievance. Yeah, but you have no idea. I know, but whatever grievance. Did Jesus, did God forgive you through Jesus for all your sins? Then you know what? Whatever grievance. For some of you, the only way to get from A to B is you're going to have to experience the connective tissue of forgiveness. Here's the last one. Let's go through it real quick here. The last one is the connective tissue of deficit. So it's the 930 crowd. I'm not sure how this is going to go, but how many of you are runners? Love to run. Okay, a few of you. Anybody here ever run a marathon? Okay, one, couple. Anybody here ever do an Ironman triathlon? Right? So I, I was going to Kissimmee Thursday, teaching a class over there, pull up behind the, a Jeep, and on the Jeep is a sticker that says 140 point whatever. I walk in, I find the guy, I'm like, that's your Jeep out there. He goes, yeah. I said, there's a sticker on this here, it's 140 point whatever. I said, what does that mean? He goes, that means I did a triathlon. I'm like, really? I said, remind me what that is. He goes, it's a two and a half mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and a 26 mile marathon. And then he looks at me and he goes, and I've done it seven times. And I wanted to punch him in the face. Seven. Seven. So I asked him, I said, what's the hardest part of the triathlon? The swim, the bike ride, or the run? Here's what he said, none of those. What do you mean none of those? He goes, none of those. He goes, here's the hardest part. He goes, the hardest part is that if you're going to make it through a triathlon, you're going to have to survive periods of deficit. What do you mean? He goes, when you're, he said, I don't know if you've done this or not, but he said, if you're swimming two and a half miles, he said, you're going to exert a ton of calories. And he said, I don't know if you've tried this or not, but eating while you're swimming is really hard to do. He said, and when you're running 26 miles after a 112 mile bike ride, he said, the last thing you want to do is eat. He says, so there are moments during a 140 mile run where you're going to have to survive the fact that you're burning a lot more calories than you're taking in. Because if you don't survive moments of deficit, you'll never, ever finish. And I was like, how many of us in our spiritual journeys are just right there? The reason we're not getting to the other side is because we're not surviving moments of deficit. And does God not put us in deficits? For sure. I mean, God has how much authority? So the 13 years that Joseph went through, God could have done something different? Yes. Because how much authority does he have? And he still went through it. So why does God allow us to go through these horrific moments of deficit? Why? Isn't that the cry of so many people, not just within the church, but outside of it? Why, God, do you put us through this? If your God is love and your God is all powerful, why did this person have to die? Why did this secret have to be revealed? Why do we have to live through these horrific moments of deficit? Joseph did. And here's what I know about 
Joseph finding that connected tissue. Listen to the name of his second child. Genesis 41, 52 says Joseph had a second son. The first one was God made me forget all my trouble. Here's my second one. The second son he named Ephraim. And here's what he said about Ephraim. It is because God has made me fruitful in my what? Suffering. In my suffering. My misery. My depression. My affliction. I still was fruitful. My friend ran seven marathon or seven triathlons, finished them all. And he said, the greatest lesson I've learned is if you cannot survive seasons and moments of deficit, you'll never finish. It's the same true for us. Unemployment, the revelation of some sin issue that is permeating your home or the individual that you love, right? A divorce an affair, an addiction, you name it, you go through it, a terrible diagnosis, and sudden loss, a tra- tragic accident, you name it. You could name all the moments of deficit that you and I have had to experience. And I don't know about you, I don't want to experience any of them. I mean, I, I hate this stuff, right? My daughter lives in Tampa, she's 20 years old, and sometimes she gets on the road and she drives to our house. It's a two-hour trek through hell to get from Tampa to here. I don't know if you've taken I-4 before, but when ACDC wrote the song Highway to Hell, that's what he was thinking about. (laughs) Right? It's a terrible journey. Right? When my daughter gets into the car, you know all I do for two hours is I pray that God gets her here safe because the one thing I do not want to experience is the deficit of burying my daughter. You know what I mean? And then people say, oh, you shouldn't pray like that. I want to punch those people in the head. Why would a parent not pray for that? It's crazy. I don't want, listen, you don't want to go through seasons of deficit, do you? No, we, none of us do. But you want to know something? We're going to. Listen, we've done this long enough. We've all read history books. Are you, are you going to live a life and avoid pain and suffering? Yes or no? No. You can scream, why, 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 why? But you know what? You're not going to get an answer. Instead, figure out how. Here's how. You find the connected tissue of deficit. And you learn like Joseph learned. God, make me fruitful in my suffering. Listen, read the Psalms. Read Job. If you want to read about people who, who, who live in deficit and who survived it, read those stories. But let me share you Paul's story. I just want to read to you 2 Corinthians 12. Listen to Paul, what he says about deficit. Paul says this, even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, right? But if I refrain, so no, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Paul had lots of things he could say about how amazing his life was and what God had let him see. But he said, I won't do it because I don't want anybody to think I'm boasting. God went, well, you know what, Paul? I appreciate your humility, but that's not enough. So look what God does. Look at the deficit that God puts Paul in. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. God, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of who? Let's be clear. God gave this to Paul. God put Paul in a season of deficit on purpose so he wouldn't become conceited about what he was able to do. So God gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to what? He wasn't bringing him iced coffees. 
He was there to torment him. And look what Paul did. Paul did what any of us would do. What did he do? He begged God, take this away from me. And you know what God said? No. Because God said this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Listen, I don't know where you're at, but I do know this. I don't care who you are or how much money you have. What's the difference between you and me? What I do know is this, that you're going to go through deficit. You're going to have a really, really dark season or two. And the God who has all authority is going to be at some level behind it. And the only way you're going to survive in your faith is you're going to have to learn how to find the connective tissue of deficit. It's just the only way it's going to work. So whatever that addiction is you're dealing with, it doesn't matter how much help you get. Eventually, it's going to be you alone in the dark learning how to say no. And you're going to go, why me? Why me? Why is this my struggle? Why is this my struggle? Instead of asking why, how about figuring out how? Maybe you're going to have to lean on a promise in that moment because the connective tissue of promise is a powerful thing. For some of you, the reason your relationships stink, the reason your marriage is struggling, the reason that you're miserable is because you've exposed your connective tissue to toxic material of unforgiveness and bitterness. And it's just time to let it go. There's a story, true story, about these men. Lesra Martin and Reuben Carter. Reuben Carter, if you might remember, he's the subject of the movie The Hurricane. Denzel Washington plays a boxer who is wrongly accused and convicted and imprisoned for the murder of three teenagers in 1966 in New Jersey. Lesra Martin was born in 1963 to a middle-class family in Queens. By the age of 10, though, alcoholism and health problems have driven his family from a middle-class life in Queens to Bushwick, a ghetto, a slum in New York City. By 11, he's sweeping the floors of bars and working as a bagger in a grocery store, and his family is depending on his check to buy rice and beans so they can just survive. At 16, his dad takes him to a lab in New York City to apply for a job, which he gets. While there, working in the lab, Lesra Martin meets five Canadians who've come across the border to this lab to work. And they are met with Lesra Martin and they are inspired by a spark they see in him and they think that he can do more. A friendship ensues and they want to take him to Canada with him. And Lesra Martin has to go home to his family, a family he loves, even though it is a mess and his parents are alcoholics and gangs have consumed the lives of his older brothers. He loves his family, but he also wants a chance at a different life. And so he goes and he asks his family at 16, will you give permission for me to leave and go with these people to Canada? And here's what I know about connective tissues. They are so important because the minute Lesnar Martin's family agrees to let him go to Canada. Reuben's car, Reuben Carter's life changes forever. Because Lesnar Martin crossed the border, went to Canada, and learned how to read and write. And in his struggle, found encouragement in a book that he was given to read called The Sixteenth Round. A book written by Reuben Carter about his wrongful arrest and conviction and incarceration. A book that inspired him so much that he contacted Reuben Carter and they became friends. Eventually, Lesra Martin went to school and became a lawyer and five years later stood as Reuben Carter was released from prison after 20 years of incarceration. 
all because of one connective tissue. A moment where Lesra Martin's parents said, yes, it's okay for you to go to Canada. You see, I don't know what you know about you, but I know this, that connective tissues matter in our lives. True? They matter in our spiritual lives. So wherever you're at today, maybe you need a promise to cling to. Maybe you need to learn to forget and let go. And maybe you just need to survive the deficit. Whatever it is, Jeremiah 17 says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person's going to be like a bush in the wasteland. He's not going to see prosperity when it comes. He's going to dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He or she is going to be like a tree that's planted by water that sends out its roots to the stream. That person does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green and it has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. Amen, church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus who clung to promises in dark moments. Said, Father, forgive them for they know what what they do. And God knows he survived an unbelievable deficit, leaving us an example. So, Father, wherever people are at today, would you help them find that connected tissue so they can move forward? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.